Today we want to celebrate that with you. But at the same time, I've acknowledged many, many times this is the hardest Sunday for me to preach because there is so much hurt. And so we have this video that if you were here last year, you've seen, but we just cannot do any better than this. So uh, ladies, I pray no matter what situation you'll find that you will find encouragement that you're not alone. Mother's Day. It's supposed to be a day to thank our moms and to celebrate motherhood. The world rushes around us in flower shops and scours greeting card displays, with some women approaching this day with a great sense of hope and pride. But there are others, others who shrink back, uncertain of how to engage such a triggering moment filled with hurt, sadness, or even tragedy. I have a question for you, and be honest. How do you really feel this Mother's Day? Today, as some of you celebrate great times, others of you have more questions than answers. We want you to know that none of you are alone. This is for you. To those who gave birth this year, we celebrate you. To those who have ever lost a child, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who have experienced miscarriage, failed adoption, or children running away, we mourn with you. To those who lost their mothers, we grieve with you. Same for Sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry, sorry. Of infertility. To those who walk the hard path of infertility with pokes, prods, fears, and tears, and disappointments, we mourn with you. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with their moms, we celebrate you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who have lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall test of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who step parent, we walk with you. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering children, we wait on and trust God with you. To those who have envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not meant to be, we grieve with you. To those who have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we both grieve and rejoice with you. And to those who are pregnant with new life, we anticipate with you. But above all, but above all, but above all on this Mother's Day, as mothers and non-mothers alike, remember this. We are all daughters. A daughter birthed by our earthly parents, for sure. But in Christ, but in Christ, but in Christ, a beloved daughter of our Heavenly Father. So whatever you are facing on this day, remember this. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are valued. You are righteous. Not because of anything you have done or can do, but only because of what Jesus has already done. No amount of praise or gifts on this Mother's Day can compare to one drop of the precious blood Jesus gave for you. His work made you His, and He has given you an eternal identity. You are His beloved daughter. You are His beloved daughter. You 
are his beloved daughter. You are his beloved daughter in whom he is well pleased. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Daughter's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Daughter's Day. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark 6. Before I get into uh, the Word today, um, talk with the elders here, and we say that we are a transparent and real church. True? Yes. So I just want to confess to you that last night there was no part of me that wanted to be here this morning. There has just been, uh, even outside of our family, a lot of hurt in the congregation with people I know. And that hurt has uh, sort of transcended to our home with the uh, diagnosis of Laura's dad of type 4 lung cancer, or uh, stage 4 lung cancer. And we have been through, as many of you have experienced, and I'm looking, you know, I just know there are people right here who've lost recently that the fallenness of this world is overwhelming. The brokenness that we experience at various times can be overwhelming. So I stand to you in front of you today as a broken man, counting only every part of me that anything that comes from this will be from him this morning. So um, I just ask that you would bow in prayer and that we can give up our troubles to him and trust and ask him to speak to us this morning because I know this message is for me and I imagine there's some others in here too. Heavenly Father, um, I just acknowledge the hurt for many of Mother's Day, the loss just in this room is overwhelming. And Lord, all the other situations for those who wanted to have a relationship with their mom and it never was to be. Lord, for those who have not had a, uh, who've tried and just hadn't worked out. Lord, there's so many things. But Lord, we know that you have allowed for a period of time for the prince of this world to rule and to reign and for brokenness to be magnified and for sin to grow. Lord, that there will be a last supper of the Lamb where every tear will be dried. So, Lord, uh, we just commend today to you. Lord, I pray that we will not leave here defeated, but leaning, falling on Jesus Christ. Not trying to figure everything out, but knowing that you have it figured out and resting in that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to um, Mark chapter 6. We are going to uh, go through a segment of, of, of this Jesus feeding the 5,000. And my hope is that you will look at this differently than maybe you've ever looked at it before. Or maybe some of the things I'm going to say is just going to be a confirmation. But I think that there might be something new and richer here for us that's not new to the Scripture, but maybe a different way of looking at it that maybe you've never experienced. So in chapter, uh, or excuse me, chapter 6, verse 30, we read that the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So they, they came back, they went out, remember they went out two by two, they came back and they just reported back what had happened, all that had occurred. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So Jesus, in verse 31, he said, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. They were busy doing stuff, and they were away from Jesus during this time, and they came back, and, and they were tired, and he said, they were coming and going, and they had not even to leisure to eat. Imagine being that busy. You're just so busy, you hadn't got a chance to eat. And so in 32, it says, they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Whoa. Hold on. The printer did some fun stuff this morning. And I'm telling you, it was the printer this time. All right. The next quote, um, the life of discipleship should be up there. The life of a disciple is not only mission for Jesus, but also mission with Jesus. The enlisting of the disciples' services cannot usurp or eclipse their fellowship with Jesus. So he told them they were out, they were so busy, they came back, they were downloading, debriefing to him. He said, we need to get away. And the important part is like they weren't going online and setting up a cruise ship thing to go away on a tour to get away, that they were going to spend time with him. So the life of the disciple is not only mission for Jesus. The mission is important, but mission with Jesus, mission for Jesus, without Jesus, will cause you failure and brokenness and anxiety and fear and failure. Mission with Jesus is where he says, my yoke is light. The gathering of the disciples to Jesus means that in the midst of busyness, or excuse me, of business and busyness, they are accountable to him alone. In the midst of business and busyness, they're not accountable to everyone else. They are accountable to Jesus alone. And the greater the demands on them, the greater their need to be alone with Jesus. The closer you walk 
in the life of discipleship and following after Jesus, the more dependent you're going to be on his presence. And that is why we sing, without his presence, I am nothing. Doesn't mean you're not a decent person and you don't have cells together and you don't have a life, but the more you grow, the more dependent you're going to need to become or you will become a broken individual. I just want to lay that out there. This isn't the main premise of the sermon, but this is a big part here. If you're in relationship and discipleship with Jesus, you're accountable to him, and you're also accountable and totally dependent on him to provide your every need. Not your spouse, not your uh, discipleship group. They're not going to provide you everything you need. No one here is Jesus. You are going to have to get into his presence. Going back a couple weeks, maybe even a month or two now, I just want to reiterate the point that they were busy and they needed to spend time with Jesus. So I want to commend you that Sabbath rest is found in the mission of Jesus. So you're going to notice here in a little bit that he said you need to get away, you needed to isolate yourself with me, and then what happens, they're going to all of a sudden be encountered by masses, six, 7,000 people, probably because there were 5,000 men that were recorded, probably seven, 8,000 people were uh, uh, assembling around, and Jesus didn't just stop and go, wait a second, time out. We are going to go spend some time alone. Mothers in here for Mother's Day, how well does it work for you with a toddler and dirty diapers just to give a time out to everybody and just say, just wait here for a half an hour and I'll be back? Right? It doesn't work really well. And some of us, maybe a little further along, have forgotten that and forgotten the press of minute by minute by minute. And so, These disciples were learning by Jesus what it meant to be alone with him and on mission with him and to find rest. Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. He comes up on a boat with the disciples. They were looking for a desolate place. They did not cross over. It's about a 20-mile crossing the uh, Sea of Galilee. They went along it. So imagine a throng of people watching your boat and following you. That's what they were doing. And some of us might have got our boat up and we wanted our alone time. We wanted our our space, we wanted our solitude, and the people came, and Jesus didn't get angry and said, I've had enough of people right now. Would you please leave? He looked on them, and he had compassion. And he said, they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. I want you to picture yourself in this case on a boat with Jesus, tired, hungry. 
and a mass comes to you and they want something, would you have compassion or, or would you be angry or selfish? How do we look in this world of chaos at people who are broken, who are scattered around? Everyone's got their own idea of what right is now. And it's chaos out there. I mean, everywhere, no matter where you stand, there's just, there's all this. Do we look with the eyes of Jesus on this world and understand that they don't have a shepherd and have compassion? Or are we loaded with judgment and anger and saying how they need to get their stuff together? How can they live like this? If we are going to do what Jesus did, Mark, this is our thing, what did Jesus do? Then when our inconveniences are pushed upon, when things get tired and fatiguing, are we going to have compassion or are we going to lose our mind? This idea of looking at a sheep without a shepherd is important because you will not understand this story fully unless you go back to the Old Testament. So this verse is set that so you'll realize that Jesus is like Moses of the Old Testament. Jesus is taking a group of people and providing for them when everyone else thought it wouldn't work out. He is leading and feeding the people. Isaiah 63, 11 says, Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of the, his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Moses was a less than version of Jesus. Moses, Jesus, in a sense, was the greater Moses. In verse uh, Numbers 27, 17. Who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in? That the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Do you and I realize that this world and its chaos is sheep without a shepherd? And that the reason there is chaos is because they are not following the great shepherd. Jeremiah 10.21 says, For the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. We can make that translation to the pastors of the churches. In various times and cases are literally called stupid because they do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered and all their flock is scattered. This is all going to lead. This is all going to funnel into something. So just track along with me. My hands are so dry, I cannot turn the papers. Mark six thirty six. The people came up before, I want to read that, the people came up and there were 5,000 men, thousands of probably others, and they came up and they were hungry. 
And Jesus' disciples came up and told Jesus this. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So I want you to get this. The disciples are telling Jesus what to do. Now, if we did a survey and we had a results on here and I, I had a lie detector test where uh, if you said that you did not ever tell Jesus what to do and you said that you never did and this phone would shoot 50,000 watts of electricity in you, we'd all be laying on the ground, shuddering. Another thing to consider, quite honestly, the disciples are not looking for a miracle. They've seen demons removed. They've seen healings take place and all this stuff. They're getting very human speaking, worldly speaking. There's like, that's not bad counsel. You got all these people, hey, go to McDonald's, go to Chick-fil-A, not McDonald's, Kelsey, sorry. Uh, go, to, go to somewhere else and go get some food and then come back. I just find it, it's amazing that they're telling Jesus what to do. And I'm amazed at how many times I've done that. Fair to say? Have you all told Jesus what he should be doing? And when he doesn't do what I think he should do? We are just such good Christians that when he goes a different way, we just go, that's great, Lord. Praise Jesus. Now, I think we're growing to that, heading that direction generally. But the response should be, Jesus, what, what do we do? What do you want me to do? Instead of saying, hey, send them out and do this. They were telling him what to do, and they were not expecting a miracle. Verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? So you have to get that a, denari, a denarius is like a day's wages for a common laborer. So you think of roughly 200 days of work for one person to feed this group with bread. They're thinking in the physical, they're just going, this is what we need to do, so I don't think we have enough money. How do we do this? They are swept away by the magnitude of the problem. Frankly, I've been swept away recently by the magnitude of the problem. They were facing, just like Moses did, the responsibility of leadership and providing and feeding, physically feeding, a multitude of people. So look at Numbers 11. Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. Mark 6 goes on in 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they had found out, and they said, five loaves and two fish. The disciples are continuing to focus on what they do, don't have, not what they have amongst themselves. Jesus is focusing on what they have. I want to say in this small room here that we tend to focus on, I want to suggest, what we don't have, 
what we do not have available to us inside, instead of recognizing that we may have what is necessary for Jesus to use right within our grasp. They look, hey, not enough fish. Jesus looks like you have fish. What are you going to do with them? The problem will not be resolved by something beyond them, outside their reach, but by something amongst them. There is a great miracle that takes place here, but the focus of this story is not the miracle. I want you to sort of read, who, who studied all the time about the great miracle of the five loaves and the fish and the basket, and that's great, right? That is wonderful, and it is, but there is more to this story. Jesus is saying here that he is the greater Moses who will provide supernaturally for his people and physically for his people, and that we have to have eyes and ears and faith to trust him. Jesus sees possibilities where the disciples see impossibilities. As humans, what do we tend to focus on? What's wrong, right? That's impossible, not possible. I am, I'm a realist. Some of you are, some of you are dreamers. God bless you. But I focus, tend to focus on what's wrong. When Jesus says to focus on him. Here we'll see that the smallest gift can be multiplied to provide for many. Mark 6, 42 says, and they all ate and were satisfied. Can you imagine the disciples going out? And I want you to see, they set them out almost like a military setting. They set them out in 50s and, and went and distributed out. And there were 12 baskets to 12 disciples. And Jesus like, do you not see this? And they went in and as they in faith just went to provide for the needs, they trusted God. God did a work. And all along, the people are starting to gear up. And I don't have the verse here, but it says that they were about ready to take Jesus and rush him into Jerusalem and, like, make him king. They, this was a militaristic view of setting him up and getting him all in order. But this isn't why Jesus came. This event reveals the disciple, to the disciples, not to the crowds, Jesus' true character and how he has called and called them to provide for and care for his people. So as a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself that, we have to learn what did Jesus do and follow what Jesus did. Jesus had compassion on the multitudes and he provided for them. And they did it, excuse me, the disciples, as disciples, we need to do it in faith. Looking at not what we don't have, but what we do have. It's not said here, but you could very much give the argument that at the end of the meal that a great a, um, a prayer was said. So if you've not heard me say before, in the Old Testament Jewish tradition, prayers were said after the meal. And it was so that once you got full, you didn't forget the provision of God. And I think that's sort of beautiful because it's easy to thank God and we do the American quick 20-second rote prayer, thank you, Lord, for the suit, amen, and we dig in, right? Instead of really sometimes digging deep down and being thankful. 
But one of the great known prayers is this, Praise be to you, O Lord our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth and who provides for all that you have created. So what I want you to see here as we sort of put this together, I want you to see two stories with one shepherd. Last week, and if you weren't here, we talk about Herod. And Herod had a banquet. And his banquet was very different than this meal was on the side of a hill. The the meal on the side of a hill Jesus presided over, it was not a palace or a fortress, but it was in the open air in the rolling hills of Galilee. And the invitation was not restricted to important people. So once you see one meal where the important people were coming, it was a fortress, it was a, you know, it was a dwelling in a city, a palace, and the important people were there, and Herod wanted to rule. Jesus brought everyone, whoever wanted to come, to the hill, and he provided a meal for them. Unlike Herod's banquet, banquet the primary purpose was to bolster Jesus posi- or, uh, Herod's position with the crowds. Herod brought people in to form his think tank. If you would just think of in our country, the politics of it, when you see the banquets where the representative or something, hey, come to this meal, we're going to come together. What's the purpose? Get behind me and vote for me, correct? Herod was doing this. He was bringing all the smart rich people together, and he fed them the finest of meals. Jesus brought the poor, the shepherds, and whoever knows who else to the side of a hill and provides them bread and fish. Jesus' compassion on the multitudes far differentiated from Herod's view Herod had sensuous dancing in his palace. He was trying to entertain the masses, much like we see with entertainment out of Hollywood. Sexual, all these things going on. Jesus did not provide entertainment. What does it say? He said that Jesus taught them. Let's go back in our memories. They were sheep without a what? So I want you to get this picture as as we fold this in some. Jesus was showing the disciples that not only could they use what they already had, but they had to trust Jesus for and use what was within their grasp to carry out and shepherd in the kingdom that Jesus was going to leave them with. Let me say it a different way. Today, Jesus doesn't say to you as his disciple, you just need to wait and, and just hope and, and get in a bunker and hope for the best? Jesus said, I want you to look at what you have and see how you can have compassion on a world that is broken without a shepherd and you can provide for their needs supernaturally because of Jesus Christ. Herod, at the end of his banquet, he took the life of John the Baptist. Jesus provided for their needs and taught them and began to shepherd them out of love and self-servitude. Jesus' message to love your enemies, to serve those who are less than you, to help the weak. 
two stories, one shepherd. Folks, if, if we don't find a way to mobilize the church, and I think we've begun this. This isn't like a fatal thing going on here, but I'm saying if we do not proactively get involved with Jesus' mission and use what we have, not wait for something to come, and step out of the boat in faith and trust in him with what little we might have, with our little gifts, our little mind, our little efforts, and step out of faith and say, take this fish I've got, I've got a little fish, take this stupid fish and use it. I'm going to trust you with it, and I'm going to distribute it to those in need. I'm going to have compassion on people who I frankly don't, and that is a gift from God. When people like us have compassion on people that we don't like and think different or acting erratic, and instead of judging them and pronouncing on them and sitting on top of the hill and looking at you, look at you failures out there, we have compassion. And no matter who it is, everyone is welcome to the banquet. And we just say, come. John 1.16 says, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Have, do you have a compassion for the shepherdless? We're going to come to communion here in a moment. You have to ask yourself a question. Do you have compassion on the shepherdless? Two, are you going to make excuses or are you going to use what you have been given and take it like the widow with a mite and go, take and use this. All that I have is yours because of the compassion that's in our heart that it develops an action in faith that only God can multiply. Are you willing to have people look at you like fools? To go and to distribute food and wonder how it's going to do it and question each other? Or are we going to be take this example and say, God, I want to step out in faith. Are we going to eat at Herod's table or at Jesus' table? Folks, this morning as we come up, I want to invite you to eat at Jesus' table. This feeding of the 5,000, I want you to hear this, was a prequel to communion. It was a, the fish isn't talked about much here. You see a lot more talk about the bread. So you know that when Jesus got his disciples together and said, this is my body which is broken for you, take and eat, Jesus provided the people physically with food they needed and he provides us spiritually with the body of Christ that we may eat and that we may be encouraged and strengthened. Ultimately, Todd read in Isaiah this morning when he first got in, ultimately, all this is leading up to the marriage supper of the Lamb where we will eat with 
with bread and food and well-aged wine. It's not grape juice, folks. Uh, Well-aged wine. Someday before Jesus, every tear will be wiped from our eye. But I want you to think, are you going to be in the masses or are you going to be carrying the message to the masses in faith? Because this is a picture of heaven. It's a picture of heaven. Jesus provides. He provides for his people. He provides under shepherds. And he provides for the flock. He provides for the world. Are you going to be on mission with him? Or are we going to cower back? My prayer for us, as we try to make our mark like Jesus did, is that the thumbprint of Jesus and what he did would be replicated and replicated and replicated and our little bread and our little fish will provide for the needs of those around us. And folks, we are in without excuse. Let's stand. As we get ready to come for communion, I just want to tell you, if you find yourself in the crowd and you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he has offered his life as a gift He's but say, come and grasp it by faith. If you have not in faith just said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he came and died so that all my wreck that I bring into my life, my wretchedness, the wreck that is my life, is cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. All you need to do, he's already made provision. All you need to do is trust in him and say, Jesus, would you become my Lord and Savior? Would you come and take this old heart and give me a new heart? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to your table and are reminded your provision of the people, Lord, I pray that we would be a people of compassion. I pray that we would be a people of faith. I pray that we will be a people of action. And Lord, I pray that we would replicate what Jesus has done in our lives and other people. Thank you that we can trust you as we come to your table to remember the good work you did and what you're going to do someday when we feast with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.